0: Every time I do see a patient, it's almost like it brings me back a little bit to my own experiences. And so for me, I still to this day, you know, I I struggle and, and I know that even if I probably didn't go through it, I would feel
1: awful when things don't work. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones.
2: Today on the show, we have a really interesting format because it's National Infertility Awareness Week. So, I wanted to invite on a provider and their patient so that we can both go through the fertility journey together to see what it's like through the eyes of a patient, through the eyes of a provider, and a provider that has also been through the journey herself. I'm joined by Dr. Nicole Barker, who is a board-certified reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialist at Seattle Reproductive Medicine in their Tacoma office. She went to medical school at Ohio University She completed her OBGYN residency and her REI fellowship at university hospitals at Case Medical Center in Cleveland. She has been published in several journals on several topics, and her special clinical interests include fertility preservation, PCOS, recurrent pregnancy loss, and lifestyle effects on fertility. I'm also joined by one of her patients. Stephanie is originally from the Seattle, Washington area. She is married to her husband, Nick, and they have three beautiful children, all of whom are from IVF, from two different cycles, and has been gracious enough to come onto the program to talk about this experience from both sides of the clinical perspective. Stephanie, Dr. Barker, Nicole, welcome to Inside Reproductive Health. Good
0: morning, Thank you for having
2: us. Well, I'm so excited to interview two people. This is my first time interviewing two people at once on the podcast. And I think we have a really interesting lens for doing this because, Dr. Barney, you went through the infertility journey yourself.
0: I did. Yeah. And a lot of people ask me if it was because of that, why I went into the field, but I actually, I found out kind of mid training or right at the end of my training. So, but I always say that it was one of the best experiences for me to learn. So I would never trade it for the world, but yeah.
2: I'm looking forward to seeing how this parallels with our patient's journey, because Stephanie, you said you were trying to, you and Nick we're trying to conceive for three years yes can you talk a little bit about what it's like when you when did you start noticing that you're having trouble and then where do the search for information and the decision making process and how you're talking to people how does it go from we realize we're realizing that we're having trouble now through the rest of what it's like to process that.
3: Okay. So at about the six month mark, I kind of took a pause for a minute and thought maybe there might be something. But after speaking to just my OBGYN, you know, I was advised it can take healthy couples up to a year and that I needed to give it some time that we were young and that, you know, just give it some time. And so I did that. And then after a year, I was given a referral over to SRM. Because everything that my OB could find, there was no reason why I shouldn't have become pregnant. So and when I got the referral sent over, I started doing research on the different doctors at SRM. And that's kind of how I made the decision to go with Dr. Barker.
2: Are you searching for information on your own at this point or do you go right to your OBGYN and say this is what we're going through
3: well during during our trying to conceive journey i had been doing you know the research online and joining you know forums and support groups myself online and on facebook and there's there's a large community out there of trying to conceive and people battling infertility and so i kind of use those resources and outlets for information and then alongside my
2: OBGYN. the ttc community is really big at this point in your mind is what you're going through exactly that, trying to conceive? Or have you thought about that this is infertility?
3: I had not given myself the diagnosis of infertility yet. I just thought we were trying to conceive and maybe taking longer. But I knew I knew that the trying to conceive community was huge. And I was looking for all the tips and tricks and support and help. And so that's where
2: I went. So then you go to your OB? Do they refer you right away? Do you go through some tests? Did they try any forms of treatment before they refer you?
3: No, they, because they did ultrasounds, they did blood work. They did a whole bunch of testing on me. And I had had some testing prior to that. There was, there was nothing that my OB was stumped. And so she sent me over SRM pretty quickly after that, once we hit the earmark.
2: So did they give you a few options, did your OB give you a few options to choose from of here's some clinics in the area, did they say, or SRM is a, a clinic that we've worked with a lot, and then how do you find Dr. Barker from that?
3: So I was given a couple different options of of ones inside, you know, or local to me, but they highly recommended SRM. And then I started, you know, kind of searching on my own, the doctors, and, you know, reading reviews and doing all of that. And that's how and I, I, I came across Dr. Barker and I'm very thankful I did.
2: Dr. Barker, your journey was I got the impression just from how you explained it before you went through REI training.
0: So actually, I was a fellow at university and I was in my third year. I think my husband and I got married when we were in my first year. And so it, it was interesting because being in the field, immersed in it and studying it and, and getting prepared for it, it, it was always kind of in in the back of my mind, well, I hope we're okay, <laughs> you know, and my husband knew that what he was getting into marrying me. And he was always like, Oh, well, we should get checked maybe before we get married. I was like, wait, 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 no, we're not gonna jump ahead. We're just gonna do the normal thing. But because of, you know, where I was in my career in my training, we're we're not like the usual couple, we spent like a couple months. And because of some things that we were worried about upfront we got like an evaluation pretty quickly. And so from that point on, it was pretty clear, like almost immediately, like you're going to need to have some help. And for me in my journey, it was really hard because I was at that point where I was starting to interview for jobs. And I had such a great support at my training. And uh, I just remember thinking that I don't know if I can go on being a doctor in this field. Like I, I I, was just kind of really scared because I didn't know what was going to happen with us personally. We were newly married. It was very stressful. I'm looking for a job and I'm thinking to myself, I'm sitting here as a third year fellow, like, uh, can I do this? Like what happens if I'm not successful or, you know, this is an emotional roller coaster. How am I going to handle myself through this? So it was a pretty dark place for me. And I was really scared but I had a lot of support for from the people who were in my training program and they helped me through my first IVF cycle. So we did our first cycle in Cleveland and, you know, we are very blessed that it worked the first time. And so I knew that going into my career moving forward, that I was, you know, successful at that point in time with my first cycle. But it was hard because it was all those different things happening all at once. And I knew that this was going to be my my life career. And I was struggling as a patient behind like closed doors in the office, you know, and trying to put on then a good, you know, a happy face and then going and, you know, congratulating a patient or helping them through their their journey. So, it was it was a really hard time, but I think that it all happened for a reason and no book, no provider, no teacher, no surgery that I could learn from better than being going through that myself. So, I would never change it for the world and I have my two beautiful children, but yeah, my it was interesting because I it wasn't beforehand and it wasn't like during my practicing. It was during my training right before.
2: And I want to go back to something you said in the beginning of that, because your husband's thinking, well, this is the field you work in. Maybe we should both check things out before we start. And to me, that means ovarian reserve testing and semen yeah. analysis. And you didn't want to do that. One of the things that's so interesting to me when I talk to physicians is they say, Griffin, if I could have seen this patient two years earlier, I would have so many more options to help them. I'd be able to help them more quickly. Their prognosis would have such a better likelihood of success. Right. So can you talk to us a little bit about what that resistance was for you at that time?
0: Sure. Mine, I, I just know myself and I'm a I'm a pretty emotional person and, and that's good and bad. But I, I think I was worried that it would, change my perspective on going into our marriage. I was really worried. I didn't want that to kind of muddy the water. And I knew that I wasn't going to waste too much time. It's not like I was going to let years go by. I knew we would be proactive about it. So in my mind, it wasn't like I was going to delay it for a long time. I just didn't want to do it because I had already, you know, made a commitment to this person. And uh, this was the man of my dreams. And I didn't want anything to change my thoughts about, you know, Oh, we just found out we're not going to be able to have kids and we're, we're not even married yet. Like I just, I was worried about that. So for me, it wasn't necessarily that I was worried that I was delaying things too long. I just didn't want to do it upfront because I wanted to show My husband and to myself, that I was committed to this relationship regardless, and we were going to do this together. And I didn't want that to influence, like, if I found out that I had no eggs left or he had no sperm or whatever, like, I didn't want that to change, you know, how we felt or how we acted to one another. So that's that was why. And I was 31, I was fairly young. Um, It's not like I was, you know, 38 or 39 or 40 around there, but. So I knew that I had some time.
2: Stephanie, you're, for those that can't see the the video chat that we're having, you're nodding emphatically and seemed like parts of Dr. Barker's story really touched you. What was resonating?
3: Just the, the relationship component that I can relate to. You know, when Nick and I found out, we were fairly newly married still, and just how the heavy, the cloud that kind of comes over the relationship at first—I can really
2: relate to. So you you come into treatment uh, to SRM. You know, presumably, you're coming in for uh, some more tests or for the initial consult. Talk to us about how the the treatment process began and how your relationship with Dr. Barker began.
3: Okay, so we, we met. And, you know, at our initial consult and man, it seems like forever ago, but it really wasn't. um, We, you know, talked about what had already been done, what needed to still be done. And one of the biggest pieces that had never been done, and if I remember right, kind of came as a surprise to Dr. Barker, was that my husband had never been evaluated. And so that was the first piece that needed to be done. And so we got an evaluation and then he met with a urologist. I'm not, I don't remember his name, a really kind older gentleman that worked at SRM at the time. I'm not sure if he's still there or not, but we met with the urologist and we were given, we were basically told that IVF was our only option, that the chances of us conceiving over our entire fertile life was next to nothing without IVF.
2: Nicole, is that common that someone would come in, that an OB refers after they have done some testing for they've done the blood work presumably MH and FSH and done the ultrasound for the female patient, but they didn't do anything to either you know have the male partner checked by their urologist or referred to someone? Is that common? That one? Um,
0: I, I kind of see it all over the board. So I will see. Patients who neither have had anything because the provider is really just telling them, hey, just go there, get it all done under one umbrella. I have other providers that I know enjoy doing the initial workup with the the couple. And if they find something that they can't address, then referring them on. But I, for sure, a lot of times OBGYNs are just seeing the female patient. And so I think that it naturally, it's easier to just say, oh, let's do these tests on you. But by the time they're to see me, it's it's got to happen. I always say that, you know, this is two people involved here, typically. So I think that having one half of the evaluation is literally only having one half of the evaluation. I can't make a full recommendation. I can't get you the help you need the fastest if I don't have both partners, you know, tested. And so, I wouldn't necessarily cuz sometimes I'll see the opposite. They'll say, "Oh, I had my doctor just refer for a semen analysis. That was a, a cheaper test. It was easy for me to do." And so sometimes I'll see just the guy coming in with having his test done. So it's kind of all over the board for me.
2: And when meeting with a new patient in an initial consult, does your journey come up?
0: Sometimes. I always say that you know, I'm I'm an open book. I you know, I wrote you know, I'm uh, active on social media. I'm, I I will answer questions about it. I I wrote a blog post kind of, you know, saying a little bit about my story several years ago. So I'm an open book. And a lot of times some of my patients will say, Oh, I read that. So I kind of knew what was going on up front. But you know, I, I don't necessarily make a point to talk about it if they ask about it or if I feel like they're struggling in some way where I feel like I can maybe interject like, oh, I, I remember, remember that time. And maybe I'm talking about the couple to the couple about how they can interact with each other and support each other. And I'll kind of just say, you know, hey, when me and my husband went through this, you know, we dealt with it differently. This is how he dealt with it versus how I dealt with it or Oh hey, I remember how much those progesterone and oil shots stung. Let me tell you like what I did, you know. So I don't necessarily say, oh hi, I'm Dr. Barker, I'm an infertility survivor. Hi, how are you doing? But I, I think that if it's appropriate and it comes up, I'm I'm more than happy to to discuss it. And a lot of times If they don't know that I've been through it, they're either kind of like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for telling me this. I'm so glad that you're with me on my journey and you know what we're going through. Uh, So I've never really had any bad, you know, vibes from anybody after talking about it. It's actually always been a positive experience.
2: Stephanie, did you were you familiar with Dr. Barker's experience as this is happening from the beginning?
3: I don't think I found out until my first transfer, the day of my first transfer, because she was in the room. Another physician, I believe, was actually doing the transfer, but she was in the room and, you know, it's not super comfortable. (laughs) And she was talking me through it, telling me what to expect. And she was talking as if she not just knew from a, a medical point, if you get what I'm saying, but actually knew, knew and so I think that's kind of how that, that conversation came about.
2: What was, and what was that like just having, being able to work with someone who had also gone through it?
3: I felt, I felt empathized with in a way I can't explain. I immediately felt this calm and this peace that, okay, they, they get it. They understand. And that's, and, and and it kind of made sense in, in this weird way because she was so diligent and thorough that, and and just seemed really invested in in me and us and our journey to becoming parents, that it just made sense. Like she gets it. She she knew she relates and so it just it did. It made complete sense.
2: Let's rewind a little bit, which is you find out from the other specialists that IVF is the only option for you. Do you get right into it from there? Do you have to cost calculate? Do you need to think, is this something that we want to do? Do you need to learn more about it?
3: We immediately did some research and did some talking about what the best avenue was. We weighed the costs and we, you know, did some research online. Okay, are we, you know, IVF is not cheap. And having to come up with that money was a journey all in and itself, something we could do a whole nother interview about. But whether that was the best option or was there a cheaper option that, you know, would fit our family. But after, you know, we took a couple months to talk about it and and really decide what was what was the best option. And so we decided that IVF was was the option for us. And we had to buckle down and figure out how to raise that money.
2: Dr. Barker, how do you help people make that decision? Because even when the prognosis is good and there's a high probability of success, still not a hundred. And even when, uh, and and then for some people, it really could be one outcome or another. And I remember the first time having to to experience this sort of dilemma with my family, with other medical issues. But we're making a decision with the family of. what route to go and and being frustrated that the doctor couldn't just say do this and exactly this will happen and so how do you help with that
0: well it's 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 really hard because honestly like We we live in Washington state. Um, Most states as of now are not mandated. And so it's not, most of my patients do not have benefits for treatment and it makes it very hard because as soon as the patient comes into my office, that is not, it's in the forefront of my mind. Yeah, I want to make the best recommendations for my patients clinically, but I know that they're sitting across the desk from me and, you know, they're kind of just waiting at the end. So how much does all this cost, you know, because that always comes up and they know sometimes that's like the limiting factor of them even getting into my office. They've been told by the OBGYN, already they should go see me, but yet they're, they're afraid that they're going to be already, as soon as they step in the door, like their pocketbooks are just going to be drained. And um, so what we do is if they you know are talking to me about it, luckily, if they have some insurance coverage, it will usually cover diagnostic testing. If it doesn't, we go over okay, what is the most important things of the diagnostic testing? What are the big hitters that we can just knock out that are the cheapest? And we go over that, okay? They talk with our financial counselors the same day as well. So I can give them ballpark figures and they go and they kind of get more solidified numbers from the financial counselor based on their plans or if they're paying out of pocket. But that's definitely something that's in the forefront of my mind. I try not to get too involved with it because I, do, I don't I do want that to necessarily sway what I'm recommending for my patient, but I take it into consideration when we're having that conversation. However, in some cases, kind of like Stephanie's, where it's like, well, you know, it seems like IVF is going to be the best route and possibly the only route, unless you're considering alternative, you know, options of, you know, building your family. And that is a huge cost. And so then we turn the conversation into, okay, well, you are, you know, best prognosis age. You're, and I, I, I'm not, this is not even your age. Maybe it is, but let's say 28 and you have great egg reserve and, you know, maybe we can, hit the pause button while you guys can buckle down and and get those finances and, and check for the next year and a half or something like that. So a lot of times, especially where I'm at in Tacoma, the demographic is a little different than in Seattle proper, where a lot of times they might have coverage with insurance. But for us down in Tacoma, that's not necessarily the case. And especially with IVF, what we're talking about is, okay, how much time do you need? And is that from a clinical perspective going to be okay where it's not going to jeopardize your chances of success. And so a lot of times what I see is I see them at the initial visit, then they might not come back for a while. And then I'm seeing them on my schedule like maybe 2 years later and they're like, "Okay, <laughs> we're ready." And that's unfortunate because, you know, I I know that every day and every month as an infertility patient seems like an eternity when you're trying to get your goal, but the what I can do, I know we're limited. And until those change and I'm I'm glad to hear New York is changing, and different states are kind of hopefully getting on the bandwagon. So I'm I'm hopeful, but you know I, I, that's how I approach it. I talk about it up front because I know that they're worried about it, and I and we try to kind of you know figure out together what is the best path for them and what's the best clinical path, and is that even feasible for them?
2: Stephanie, let's talk about that eternity. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we're the. Were the two, you, you had three children from two cycles, were those the only two cycles that you went through? Yes. Okay, so no failed cycles, but no. still you're, you know, just, so you start treatment and then what is that like, both from how you're processing information and how you feel and what you think is going to be next. So
3: I'm hopeful and I'm excited that all of this work leading up to this moment, you know, the years that it took to get us here. um, I'm excited. I'm hopeful, but I am terrified. I'm terrified. We literally put all of our eggs in that basket. (laughs) Like we literally put everything in into this and the, it's, you know, I didn't have as much anxiety. The second cycle, I was pretty confident, pretty hopeful the entire time, but the first time around we had, you know, it was our first time. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know how my body was going to respond and how everything was going to come together. And if we would end up pregnant. It So there was a lot of anxiety, but there was still a ton of hope underneath it all. But that waiting period was <laughs> torture.
2: <laughs> does the success of the first cycle, does it make it easier to make the decision for second cycle, or do you feel like you're going through the same exact thing again? I
3: mean, we, we did have to, you know, especially in my particular situation, you know, doing a whole new cycle was was an option. We did have another option, but our odds weren't good. And so that was the hardest part. When we made the decision to do the cycle again, it wasn't quite as daunting as the first time around because, you know, we kind of knew a little bit about what to expect, what the process looked like. And we knew that we had had success before. And so our likelihood and our
2: odds were super good. Is the two week wait as long the second time around? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. And so, Dr. Barger, you you said you went through your first cycle back in Cleveland. Is that to say that you did go through more than one cycle? So
0: So I I did my first cycle in Cleveland, and then I had my daughter, and then I love them so much they i think they really really tried to make some good frozen embryos frozen for me there which they weren't really good but they kept them nonetheless and i felt compelled to go back so i'd already established in seattle my practice and after about a year we decided to try again so i flew back to cleveland and had my transfer and i didn't get pregnant and so we didn't have any embryos and so at that time I knew based on how our first cycle went and how many few embryos we had and and what worked that it was going to be a gamble if we were going to try it again. And plus, you know, I, I kind of had to go back and forth with myself to say, you know, now I'm going to be kind of exposed in Seattle a little bit more opening up if I'm going to be doing my cycle here as a patient and a provider. And am I comfortable with that? And after being here, Interesting enough, I think some people kind of withdraw a little bit in those situations. But for me, I was so comfortable with my practice and all of my partners and the nursing staff and everything that to me, it made so much sense that I was in such good hands that uh, we were going to we were going to try again. And so it, it wasn't easy because I put myself in the patient's place like from scratch. So I made an appointment with my partner. I sat down with her and she picked out things that I, you know, she was like, well, you know, you're going to take your boards at this time. Are you sure you want to do it during this time? Is this a good time? Should we get Dan you know, to see the urologist again, and all these things that I didn't want her to say. And I was trying to doctor myself and just push on, push on. And I'm so glad that I listened to her because as a provider, you start to try and doctor yourself and, and put your own, you know, experience into it. But it's it's really hard to take that step back. And so we delayed a little bit because of my boards, which I'm happy about, as well as, you know, we delayed probably another three to six months for, for Dan to get on some medication. And I will tell you, our cycle went much better actually you know, three years later, and me now 35, almost 36. And so that's kind of, you know, really not usually the case. Usually you think you get older, it gets worse, but we actually had a much better cycle, better fertilization, etc. And so I unfortunately, though, got sick with hyperstimulation, I still was able to go to work, but (laughs) I had to freeze all my embryos. So that was another delay and ended up having to do a frozen embryo transfer. And that one did work. So that was a little bit of a long, winded answer for your question, but
2: <laughs> does it change the relationship or add anything to the relationship with your partner? Is it just, is it just seeing another patient and I'm seeing another doctor or is
0: No, I I think that it's special because you not only know this person, you know, is a good doctor, but you know them also on a personal level and they know you. So you're kind of invested. In, and sometimes it's a little scary because, you know, I am also thinking about how they feel about being involved in my care. And I know how stressful that is because they're they're you know, obviously we want the best for everybody. But when you're somebody's colleague and friend, it's almost like heightened, you know, so. It, it's a special bond, and it's great, but at the same time, you know, it is hard because you 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 kind of are wondering, like, oh, if this doesn't work out, are people going to find out that I'm not pregnant and then not want to talk to me or not want to say something? You know, like, it, there's a lot of things that and that at so many levels.
2: Stephanie, when after cycle number two, now you've got three beautiful kids. How would you describe where you are? now in terms of the journey?
3: I have a lot of pride in my husband and I and my care team. I, I just have a lot of pride. And, you know, through that entire journey, I tried to remain determined, you know, even when it was hard to do so. And now I've just kind of funneled that determination elsewhere, you know, to raising these three kids that I was blessed with that myself, my husband, you know, Dr. Barker worked so hard to be able to make a reality for us. I've just kind of funneled that determination into not missing a second and, and raising happy, healthy
2: kids. And to conclude, what would you say to someone who is in the position now that you were, when you were trying to conceive for three years, because there are people out there that are when one year, two years, three years, probably not seeking experts, consulting before they should be, what would you say to those people?
3: They have to decide what's right for them. But once they've decided that they want to be parents, seek help, be loud about it, don't don't hide. There's nothing to be ashamed about. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. This is this community has meant more to me in the last four years than I can even express. And the amount of love and support that you're going to feel while you're on this journey is unfathomable and you don't have to go through it alone you don't have to you're not meant to there's certain things that we're not meant to go through alone and i truly believe this is one of
2: them and nicole what about you you are on one hand you're you also have beautiful children from this whole process but then you put your jersey back on and are, mm-hmm. are back on the the field and the other side. So what what is the the conclusion or ongoing feeling of the journey for you?
0: Well, it, it's interesting because like you said, you know, I've, I've now put the jersey back on, the helmet back on, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm back in the game, you know, a day in and day out. And and it seems like, you know, my youngest is almost four. So it's, it's quite a bit of time that has passed since I've been in the patient's shoes. But I will tell you that experience really never leaves you. And I think there's something to be said, though, too, that for me as a provider, it's almost interesting. And I, I'm maybe it's just unique to people who have been through it. And I know there's many providers out there who have struggled and done treatment. But every time I do see a patient, it's almost like it brings me back a little bit to my own experiences. And so for me, I still, to this day, You know, I I struggle and and I know that even if I probably didn't go through it, I would feel (laughs) awful when... Things don't work, or my patient miscarries, or you know things didn't go as planned because that's the reality. Stephanie, Stephanie, and I were very lucky because we 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 had success. I think for me as a provider, it's hard because I have many patients who are not at that goal, and I'm still on my journey as a provider of you know how to how can I best help support them through that. And I, I think that my experience just affects that ability. <laughs> Sometimes it's it's more of, I, I want them to be more aggressive faster, but yet I don't want to influence them because maybe they don't want that. But I use my, I'm drawing back to my own like experiences. And that, so I have to balance me trying to put my own personal thoughts on a patient, right? Of what I think they should do. So it, it's hard. I have to kind of stop myself and be like, okay, Clean slate clinically, here are the, you know, the the chances of success. Here's what I recommend, but that might not be for them. You know, I might have a patient like Stephanie and Nick who who said, you know what, Dr. Barker, IVF is not our route. So what else can you do? What How can you support me? And so for me, I think that it's been a, a journey uh, just in my career of how to, how can I best support people through this? And it is hard for me because I want everybody to come out with the, their, their goal. It's just that I can't tell them when that's going to happen. I can't tell them if it's going to happen. And all I can do is kind of give them the options and help support them. So,
2: Well, I realized it wasn't had a three-way conversation on the podcast. Sarah and Tracy from IVF Babble are going to send me some <laughs> angry text messages. But it is the first time that I've ever had a no. conversation like this where I've been able to talk to two people who were both on different sides of the same journey. And it has been a really enlightening conversation. I know that our audience of practice owners and physicians and practice managers is really going to enjoy it, but also the infertility community that follows us on Instagram is really going to benefit from this as well during National Infertility Awareness Week. So Stephanie, Dr. Nicole Barker, thank you both so much for coming on Inside Reproductive Health. Thanks
1: for having me. Thanks so much, guys. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you have a strong opinion about today's episode, we wanna hear it. Agree, disagree, or have another point to add, please email podcast at fertilitybridge.com and tell us if you recommend a guest or topic for a future episode. If you're ready to skyrocket your fertility practices growth and double your IVF cycles, schedule your fertility marketing discovery call by clicking the link in the show notes. And if you just want to learn more tactics to market your fertility center, download our free ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Fertility Marketing on fertilitybridge.com, also available in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Inside Reproductive Health podcast, and we look forward to talking more fertility shop on future episodes.